you brought a copy of God's Word, uh, we're going to be in James chapter 4 today, in the last half of that, but we're only doing a few verses, 13 through 17, so I'm going to kind of build to that. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open to James chapter 4 and just kind of put your thumb there, because we're actually going to go to, to Romans chapter 12 and look at a couple of verses, but, but don't worry, it'll be on the screen for you, or also uh, we have the Bible app on your phone or device. You can get the God's Word through there. And also the sermon, the outline notes are there under the events tab as well. So uh, trying to, to get God's Word in everybody in whatever platform they have. So uh, it's like when I first came here preaching from a tablet and some of my older folks thought I was on Facebook in the pulpit. I promise you I'm not. So if you see an update from me during the preaching time, it's not me. All right. We are just so glad that we can have God's Word with us in so many places now. So I hope you have a copy. If not, there's one in the pew in front of you. God, thank you so much for this worship service thus far. And Lord, may we continue to to seek your Word, Lord, and to seek your Spirit to teach us what it means to be in your will. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Are you in or out? I like that picture because that person is actually... I guess they call it base jumping. He actually went to the top of a mountain. He's got a parachute and he jumps off and then opens the parachute and and glides down to the bottom. At that point, he's committed to that. (laughs) Uh, There's no going back at that point. And that's the way it is with the Lord. When God calls us and calls our hearts and and puts his his fire within us, uh, we can't help but go back to the way lives used to be because it will never be the same. So are you in or out? You're probably wondering what I'm talking about. You like myself don't like to commit to anything unless you have it all laid out before you. You want to know all the information. You want to know everything that's going to happen. And then if, if you think of something you want to do, you will commit. I think we're all like that at some point. We like to have as much information as possible before we make a decision. And maybe sometimes we don't want to commit to something because we think something else is coming better, you know, right behind it. So we don't want to be committed to one thing and miss another thing. But commitment is a funny thing. We either have it or we don't. And the truth is we're all committed to something. We're either committed to God. We're committed to ourselves. We're committed to another person. We're committed to an idea. But when we are asked to commit to something, we have a choice. And it can either be a positive choice that has a positive outcome, or it can be a negative choice with a negative outcome, or possibly no real outcome at all. And i got to tell people that there is no holding pattern with God. To make no decision for God is to make your decision. At the end of the day, when we are judged for what we have done on this earth, if we were that person that said, I'm going to put it off, I'm going to put it off, and we'll put it off one day, it is going to be too late. Today is the day to live for God, or today is the day to live for yourself. Jesus himself said, look, if you try to live for me and live for the world, you're going to be miserable. And as a matter of fact, the thought of you doing that makes me want to... Vomit, because it just turns my stomach so much. Either live for me and be hot, or don't live for me and be cold and enjoy it, because that's all you're going to get. And so, but when it comes to commitment, when it comes to commitment, 
We think of that in, like in an athlete and a coach says like, uh, Dabo Sweeney, are you all in? Are you all committed to this team? Or an employer will ask you to their employees, are you committed to this organization? Or, or maybe a parent will tell their family to get in line with whatever plans that they want them to be committed to. They use the old line, I'm your parent and I said so. And then you know as a child that's over discussion and you get in line, right? Well, I have a question for you today. Are you in the will of God? Are you in the will of God? I have to say that uh, this saying is, is ever popular among youth because uh, they're always looking for the will of God. And uh, I think over the years uh, there have been many uh, times talking with teenagers and even adults too about trying to find the will of God. And unfortunately, it is probably one of the most misused breakup line among Christians who are dating somebody. Well, you know, don't ever tell somebody, well, it's not in God's will. Because, you know, really, if, if it's not, you should have known that beforehand, right? And uh, so it's it's kind of a, that's a, a sticky point for me because I guess uh, maybe because I heard it so much when I was a teenager. <laughs> but, uh, but all joking aside, uh, so many people are trying to find God's will. And my question for you is, are you in God's will? And I want to share with you today that this is not some grand realization you're going to come to by the end of this sermon. We are either in God's will or we are either out of God's will. So how can you answer that honestly today? Are you in the will of God? Your answer might be, well, I think so. Or maybe, I hope so. Or maybe you're one of those, I definitely am in the God's will. Or you might be that person who says, no, I am definitely not in God's will. I don't know what your answer will be. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks your answer will be. God knows. God knows even if you don't want to answer that. He knows. And I got news for you. He loves you anyway. And so are we in the will of God? How can you know for sure that you're in the will of God? Well, the Bible is full of verses. I'm going to give you a few this morning to kind of set the the pace for what we're going to read in James. Uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He Paul defines what the will of God is. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? A living offering, like something where you're actually giving your life to Him. He wants you to be holy and pleasing to God because this is your true worship. The way we worship Him, yes, the music is important. The raising hands can be important. The shaking of hands can be important. And the getting the big five-pound Bible off your coffee table can be important. But all of those things actually are not important. It's the way we live our lives. And we worship Him by sacrificing ourselves for Him. This is our act of worship. And then He says, verse 2, Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world. When I think of conformed, I think of somebody that's trying to to twist their body and twist their theology to make it fit with what everybody else thinks, all the while becoming a cheap imitation of who God has created them to be. But he says, do not be conformed in this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Folks, if you want to think about godly things, you need to decide to think about godly things. And then it says, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. When I hear the word discern, when you are discerning whether you are in the will of God or not, I think about driving down an interstate. You have to discern what your speed is. You have to discern how fast you're coming up on this person. You have to discern whether it's safe to turn left or right or to get in a passing lane or to ride in a slow lane or whatever. All of these things go on. You are discerning non-stop. That is what the will of God is. We are discerning minute by minute to be either in God's will or out of God's will. Jesus himself talked about God's will on several occasions. One of them, he says, he declares in John 6.38, he says this. There we go. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So even Jesus himself said, it's not about what I want to do. It's not my life. My life is his life. And I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And then Jesus' demand upon us in Matthew 12, 50. That will be on the screen as well. It says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Folks, when we are a Christian and we are in the will of God, we choose to obey God, we choose to yield ourselves to God, we are proving that we are one of God's children. For example, I'm sure you may have seen it or maybe even experienced when you're out in public and you see someone who a parent tells a child to get in line and to do this and they don't and they throw a temper tantrum and then it just gets worse and you think, well, my kid will never do that. And then before you know it, you find your kid wanting to try to do that as well. And look, if that's you, that's fine. But the issue here is not parenting. The issue is, is that when... An authority tells us to do something, we ought to fall in line and do it. Because if we can't respect our parents, we can't respect authorities. If we can't expect authorities, we can't expect those that are over us. And the bottom line is, if we don't expect, if we don't respect God, we don't respect any of them. Knowing God's will for our lives may be as easy as this. Knowing God's will for your life may be as easy as knowing what you like to do and what you don't like to do. Have you ever thought about that? Then maybe you are in God's will doing what you like doing. The caveat here, the the test, the litmus test of whether what you're doing is in God's will or not is, does it match up with Scripture? And if what you do is matching up with Scripture, I can guarantee you, you are in the will of God. And it doesn't mean that all of you have to be preachers, all of you have to be teachers, but if you are using what you enjoy to serve the Lord, then you are in the will of God. Now, as we approach our passage this morning in the book of James, we see the focus has now shifted from drawing closer to God to now honoring that commitment and obeying Him by doing what He asks. There was a father who wanted toy at his office. And so he took it home, he had three children, and he brought this toy home, and of course, of the three kids, they wanted to know which one of them were going to get that toy. So he started asking some questions, and he said, okay, who is the most obedient, he asked. The children stared back at him in silence. 
Then he asked them, who never talks back to mother? Well, again, the kids appeared to be mystified by the question. His third question was, okay, who does everything she says? And with that question, they finally realized what the answer was. And they all looked at each other and said at the same time, okay, dad, you can keep the toy. He was obedient to his wife. Happy wife, happy life. Amen. Well, the thing though is that these children knew what obedience was and the fact that they were not being obedient and being able to answer those questions truthfully. And folks, loving God means more than believing in your mind that, or knowing even in your heart that He loves you and that you love Him. There's no problem with that. I know I love God. And he knows that, that, that I love him and, and we, we understand that. But the true test of love is will I obey him? Will you obey him? Loving means acting on his behalf. On the behalf of those you love and before those, putting those people before your own desires. So let's jump into the passage. The first thing that we see is that getting ahead of God is getting out of his will. When we get ahead of God, we get out of His will. Starting at verse 13 of chapter 4, James, it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. What we see here with a little background is James is addressing those people in the church who believe their own hype. James was, evidently there were people in the church whose very success was their God. I mean, they, they were successful businessmen and there's nothing wrong with being a, a successful business person. There's, there's nothing wrong with having wealth because you can use that wealth to serve the Lord. But these guys, they, they thought that they were better than other people and, and church was just a place where they met and, but their bigger goal was not worshiping. Their bigger goal was how they were going to get their pocketbook bigger. How they were going to grow their businesses. And so they were worshiping, but their priority was not worship. Their priority was themselves. Their priority was, as the Bible says, was to make a profit. You know what? There's no evidence of in that passage. Not once did it say any of those people that were talking said, you know what? I want to pray about it. You know what? I'm going to go to the pastor and talk to him. I'm going to, I'm going to surround myself with a group of people. I'm going to see how I can use my business this year to help God's work. None of that. It was all about, hey, today I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. And hopefully by the end of the year, I'll be a Fortune 500 company. Blah, 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 blah. And all these other things. They were making their plans step by step. And now some of you may not be like them and have businesses to plan. But, oh, yeah, we have got planners in this church. We have got people that are into detail. Some of you, whether it be on your electronic calendar or a handwritten journal or a page, or like in my house, we have a, a dry erase board calendar on the refrigerator, you know, where we have everything mapped out. And sometimes we have several months out and sometimes we have several years out. Sometimes as a church staff, we'll get together, we'll, we'll plan out future events and, and planning out future events is okay. But the problem is these people did not factor God into those plans. And you would be surprised how easy it is for Christians to do the same thing. 
You'd be surprised how easy it is for ministers and church staff and churches all over to do the same thing. To make, to make, oh man, if we have this logo, if we have this graphic, if we have this figure, if we have this one thing, people are going to just flock to Jesus. Now, I, I've never seen smoke and lights lead one person to the Lord. Those things are okay in themselves, but when we plan and we try our best, the, the thing is, is that we have to put God in our plans. And we see in verse 13 that life is a mystery. He says, come now who say today or tomorrow we'll travel to such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Every day, folks, we make choices based on what is before us. And so we must make sure that we have the right view. I don't know about you, but if I'm driving at night, I'm probably not going to wear my sunglasses. Even though Corey Hart in the 80s told me to wear my sunglasses at night. Some of you have no idea what that means. And that's okay. It was a song. It was a cool song. But when you have those sunglasses on at night, you're not going to be able to see clearly because your vision is impaired. And folks, when we look at our world, when we look at our calendars, when we look at our to-do list, when we look at our, our checkbooks, when we look at all these things, and we're looking from a selfish point of view, it skews everything. It's hard to be in the will of God when we cannot see the will of God because of our own selfishness. No one knows what tomorrow holds. No one knows what tomorrow holds. Only that God holds tomorrow. You can take that to the bank. No one knows what tomorrow holds. Only that God holds your tomorrow. In verse 14 we see that the only certainty in life is uncertainty. Have you ever banked on something to happen and it doesn't happen? Maybe you plan on a vacation and, and you worked all year to get to this vacation and you got there and it rained all week. Or you, you tried for this business venture or you try to get together with this person and something happens and it doesn't work or if it does, it's not what you expected. We see here that the only thing about certainty is that it is uncertain. James 14 says you, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears a little while, then vanishes. One translation says, instead of vapor, it says like a morning fog. You ever get up in the morning and it's foggy? And you have to turn on your fog lights or or do something to where you can see a little bit further in front of you? And, And before you know it, the sun comes up and it burns all the fog off and everything is fine. But that haze, that haze is our life. I mean, think about it. Yes, some of you have lived a long time. And God bless you for that. Some of you have yet to have your life in front of you. But the thing is, it doesn't matter if you live to be a 100 and get your face on the smucker's jar on TV. Or past that. The thing is, is that it doesn't matter how long you live. It is but a breath, but a fog, but a moment to eternity. So many people live like this time is all that matters. Folks, this is just warm up. This is just a dry run. Have you ever thought that you had your entire life planned out only to find out that God had another plan? 
I think it's important to note that if we put all of our emphasis on our will, being in our way, having it our way, our life is going to be filled with broken dreams, disappointments, failed relationships, and a life that is void of all hope. Because we will let ourselves down at some point. At some point, if we put our faith in another person, they will let us down somehow, some way. If we put faith in our money, in our stockpiles, it will let us down in some way or another. There are people that have everything in this world that are still jumping off buildings because they are not happy. There are entertainers that are taking their life. They have more money than we can imagine. And they have more people around them than you could ever think. But yet they end their lives because they are empty inside. Some of the richest people in life will be the ones that don't have all the money. But they have a relationship with God. And they have hope. Folks, if you are living for yourself, the end result is emptiness, loneliness, and separation. Because here's the thing. If Satan can get you to live depending on your own self rather than God, he's got you right where he wants you. He's got you separated from God. But here's the thing. Why do we have a world that is so uncertain? Why do things change? Why does, why does James remind these folks that, that today is one day and tomorrow could be a totally different thing? That's like you're fine one day, then you go to the doctor the next day and they say the cancer worked. Or you're fine today and tomorrow your whole life changes. You ever been there? Oh yeah. We all have. Why is uncertainty so certain in our life? And let me tell you why, my friend. Because God built uncertainty into your world to drive you towards Him. That is why we cannot count on the world because God wants us to count on Him. I know it's tough today. I know tomorrow doesn't look much better. And the next day. Or maybe it looks great for you. But the thing is, things can change on a dime. And what James is telling these folks is that, look, you can make all the plans you want. But if you leave God out of it, you are sorely mistaken. God is the one constant force in the universe. James told us in chapter 1, verse 17, he said, Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. When Jesus is talking about himself, you know, they said Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The second thing we see is that God's will begins and ends with considering him first. God's will begins and ends with considering Him first. Verse 14 says, Instead you should say, If the Lord wills, we live and do this or that. I have learned this before. And I I learn it more every day. If these guys that we read about a few verses ago would have simply said, they're in church and they're talking about their plans, if they could say, you know what? If the Lord's willing, this is going to happen. If the Lord's willing, this is going to happen. I was like, I have found myself, I'm nowhere near wanting to retire, but we, we've talked, Don and I have talked a little bit about retirement plans and stuff like that because we're probably closer to the point of the hill than, than we were approaching it. 
And before you know it, we'll be rolling down it. Whatever that hill is. But we talk about these things and I find myself even in that saying, well, you know, this is what we want, but if the Lord allows, if the Lord, if the Lord wants us to do that, because I have learned over the years is that when I accepted a call in the ministry, I had in my mind what it was going to be and God said, yeah, you think so. As I've told people before, I never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a youth pastor for life. Actually, I wanted to be a musician before that and be a, a Christian musician. But I'll tell you what, I am so glad it worked out the way it did. Because I don't think living on a bus is for me. Or I don't think 500 pizza blasts a year are probably going to be good for my figure. We have enough pizza here now in Island Park, don't we? Amen. I think I'm going to have an endorsement on my back to Little Caesars. And that's all right. But the thing is, is that when I think about what my plan was and what God's plan has become, it is so much better. So I have learned over the years to say, God, this is what I would like, but you go wherever you want to go. You take me wherever you want to take and you do whatever you want to do. And yes, it's going to hurt. And yes, it's going to be rough. But I know in the end, it's going to be best. Because if I have my will, I'm going to mess it up. I want your will. And that's what you can do in your life. Some of you are older and, and your time for, for planning has come to fruition. But yet it doesn't matter how old you are. You still have got another day, another hope, another moment. For those of you that are younger, that are, are having children, you're thinking about, okay, there's college and there's, there's retirement and there's all these other things that we're going to have to start thinking about. Look, it's okay to plan for those things, but don't just say, okay, I'm going to plan all this. Oh, and I'm going to throw a little God in the bottom of it. That's not what James is saying to do. Jesus warns us about the dangers of not considering him. In Luke 12, he talks about the parable of the rich fool. And this rich fool is talking about how he's going to big, build bigger barns and he's going to build bigger silos and he's going to save all of his harvest so he can just sit back and enjoy and eat, drink, and be merry. Just enjoy the big life. And then God says to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you and the things that you have prepared Whose will they be then? I have seen people that have prepared all their life to amass their wealth and then they die and then nothing happens but the family fighting over everything that's left behind. Sometimes even before their body is cold. Is that what you want from your life? A life filled with things that people are going to fight over? I don't think so. God has built his universe with laws. And he has created you and I to operate within these laws to live life to the fullest. The last point we see is that to be out of God's will comes with serious consequences. To be out of God's will comes with serious consequences. He says in verse 16, but that as it is, you boast in your arrogance and such boasting is evil. So it is to sin or so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Whoo, he is stepping on some toes here. And I'm talking about mine. He doesn't, James is like that guy that, you know, some of you are like, I don't care what people think, I'm going to just say it. That's James. 
He is taking all of the the pretense that we have about coming to church and being Christians and, and trying to look the role, and he just shreds that apart, and he makes us look at a mirror at ourselves and see who the real person is. And he says here about this, he says, James lets the air out of their ego by calling them on their arrogance and evil. You know what an arrogant person is doing? If you know somebody that's arrogant, cocky, sure of themselves, there's one thing to be confident. But to be overconfident and to be arrogant, that is them covering up for their weakness. You show me an arrogant person, I'm going to show you a person, if you get them in a room by themselves, they'll admit, yeah, I feel weak. As a matter of fact, Christ was the opposite of that. Christ, what, what, what's the antithesis? What, what's the remedy? What's the antidote for arrogance? It's humility. Jesus himself, who was God, set that aside. He humbled himself to be obedient to death and to the cross so that when you study his life and when you worship him, he's going to know the pain that you're going through. His heart was broken. He was backstabbed by people. He was... He was accused of things that he didn't do. He had a mother to take care of. He had brothers and sisters that thought he was crazy. He had all of these these things that you're going through, he has been through, and he is God? He wasn't arrogant. He humbled himself. What a model for us as well. And an arrogant person ignores the will of God. I can remember as a child walking in the woods with some folks and or some some other guys, some friends from the neighborhood, and their father was was taking us to the woods, and I saw something, a path or something like that, and I thought, I'm just going to go over here real quick and see this. And so I walked away from the group, and then when I turned around, it's amazing how much the trees look alike when you're separated from people you know. And so luckily, through a lot of tears, because I was a kid, yeah, I cried, okay? And they must have heard my wailing. And so they came back. And, you know, the, the simple answer is this, is, you know, like the, like the, uh, the man said, the man, the boy's father said, when you, when you're in the woods, never leave the leader. Never leave the leader. Folks, when you are searching God's will for your life, never leave the leader. And then verse 17, this is where he punches us in the face, so to speak. So it is sin to know the good and not do it. So Baptists and Christians in general are really good at naming the sins of commission. In other words, the sins that we commit. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that person does, oh, they're wrong. Oh, that, yeah, oh, that's a sin. That's a biggie. Now that one's not so small, but, it, but it's pretty bad. And so we, we try really hard to judge other people's sins and look past ours. But even though, let's be honest, when we mess up and do one of the biggies, we know it, right? We even know when we do the smallies because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the sins that the church has a problem addressing, the sins that people look past are the sins that James is calling them out on and he's calling you out on it today and he's calling me out on it today. It's not the sins of commission. It's not the sins that we commit, but it's the sins of omission. 
the sins of omission, meaning they are the things that we know we should do and we don't. Yeah, I think spreading the gospel is important. Our preacher tells us to do it all the time and that's what we pay him for. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission does not say, tell your preacher to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All of us that are believers. So to have this truth, to have this gospel truth and refuse to do anything to share it is a sin. To know that we should not do something and, or know that we should do it and not do it is a sin. So I think about that person that spends Sunday after Sunday in the same pew doing nothing for the Lord. Is this applying to that person? Is this applying to the person that, that come and they look good at church, but their life when they leave church, the Bible goes back on the table and they go back to the regular week. God knows what we ought to do and when we don't do it, that is a sin. Too many think that God gives believers a pass on not serving Him when they have the very best of intentions. God, you know, I would do this, but you know my situation. God, I just don't have the time right now to do this. Or, or God, I know I should, but I know you'll understand me because I don't. Folks, if this is you, make sure that you have your list of excuses so you can watch them burn in flames at the end judgment. When we are judged for everything that we have done and everything that we have not done. Because our excuses will not matter. Don't be fooled. We all will be held accountable for every action. Every word said. And even those things we refuse to do. And those things we refuse to say. Again, verse 17 says, So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. So the conclusion is this. Living in the will of God means yielding to Him. I asked you at the beginning of this sermon, how do you know that you're in the will of God? And I've told you. I've showed you what the Bible says about the will of God. I've showed you what James has talked about these people that were not in the will of God, and he challenged them to get themselves right. To be in the will of God means to be yielding to Him and to make our life match up to His Word. And if you do that on a daily basis, minute by minute, discerning what is God and discerning what is not, you are in the will of God. You know what the good thing means? Every road has a pothole. Every road has a speed bump. There's a lot of potholes in South Carolina roads. I'll go ahead and tell you that. But roads and speed bumps and rest areas and pull-offs. Folks, you're not going to be hitting it 100%. You're going to have good days. And you're going to have bad days. But my friend, I love you. And let me tell you, to be in the will of God is a moment-by-moment decision to obey Him in his word, and to do what he's called you and I to do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. And Lord, I just, my heart goes out to that person that's here that have, they've been struggling to find your will in their lives. And I don't know if they've been waiting for some big aha moment, but Lord, I hope that if nothing else, they see this morning 
that it's not about the aha moment, but it's the minute by minute decision to give you glory and to follow you. And, and they started today by deciding to get up, get the clothes on and come to church and to hear your word preached. And I pray that they are encouraged to know that whatever plans that they have, that they keep you involved at the top of them. And the Lord, you will give them the life that you have created them to live. And if there's no one here, I mean, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, Lord, is my prayer that they would know today. Because, Lord, if they're living for themselves, they will die by themselves and be separated from you for eternity. Maybe someone wants to come to the altar and pray or pray with me or just pray where they're at. Join the church. Whatever their decision may be, may they make it public this morning because it's not going to get any easier when they walk outside of these doors. May they do it today where people can support them. We love you, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?